Welcome to Grow Your Creative Agency, a podcast. Nate, Nate. Yeah? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Okay. Hey, this is Eric Parnell, owner of the Northwest Collective. And Nate Kupish, owner of Blastoff Studio. Has your creative agency plateaued? Are you growing slowly and ready to scale up faster? Or maybe you're just ready to give up and get a nine-to-five. Listen in as we chat with founders who have successfully built up their own creative agencies. Join us as we learn how to get the clients you want, generate greater revenue, and develop a sustainable business model that makes you more productive and less stressed. Ryan, so great to have you join us. Thanks for being on today's episode. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, Ryan and I met at a peer mentorship group here in Bend, Oregon. Um, he's on the board and kind of bringing some great direction to the group on how to uh, lead others and help others lead e- each other. Um, so it's it's been a great experience for me so far in, in growing my business. And um, I know Ryan has a rich history in, in our world, kind of the agency space. And so excited to get to chat with you today. Um, but yeah, Ryan, to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got started in creative services? Well, I'm, uh, I'm an accidental creative service type of person. I kind of had every, uh, every ambition in the world to do it straight out of college and nobody would give me the chance. And so what happens when nobody gives you the chance is you start your own agency and you just kind of see where things go. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I had a marketing degree coming out of Oregon um, and I applied for almost every entry level marketing position you can think of in Portland. And um, every single, I got one interview at HMH, which I think is still around. Um, and, but I showed up, it was so lame that I showed up in like suspenders. I was super unqualified for anything. And so, uh, I ended up in radio and I was doing radio sales, which was terrible. Um, and then I did newspaper sales, which was terrible. So advertising sales (laughs) on both of those mediums. Um, and then I got recruited by one of my clients to become a mortgage broker for like three and a half years or two and a half years. So I was pretty young <clears throat> and uh, I, I ended up being a manager pretty young as well. But then 2007, 2000, late 2006, 2007 started to roll around and I tracked finances really closely. And I saw that we were giving, you could give a mortgage to a, a rock and hmm. there's just, it was it was a recipe for disaster. So I wow. quit, um, started a tech company. It was called Fanspan, which was a geolocation company for sports fans. Um, hmm. Way be- ahead of its time, I have people that's kind of cliche to say, but it was before the iPhone. So geolocation was kind of far more difficult. Oh, yeah. um, and then uh, so and then the 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 uh, financial crisis hit. I, all my funding dried up and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? And uh, I felt sorry for myself for about two weeks. And then I started uh, bonfire and um, started it by just calling a friend that had a bakery. And I said, I'll work, I'll work for, for free. free. I have some theories. And uh, if I could apply those theories and test them out, just pay me in cookies. And then I'll take those cookies and, leave them at companies that I want to work with, with a note, and then hopefully they'll hire me. 
and uh, so that's kind of how I got Bonfire started. Nice, very wow. cool. Well, yeah, always interesting to hear stories that um, originated around that time uh, during the crash and kind of through all that. Um, but I know uh, those those trying times often lead to good things. So it sounds like that was a, a start of something good for you, kind of having to get innovative. So Okay, so you, you start Bonfire, just you? Just me. Okay. And um, I had a whiteboard like this. Yes underneath a staircase it was almost it was, it was like uh it was like harry potter i would actually videotape myself drawing marketing processes yes and how the different things connected and how i could automate things yes um i drew all that stuff out videotaping myself i sent it to one person yeah and that was a friend of mine that was a video producer up in seattle and he laughed so hard that i never produced another one so okay. I didn't do, I didn't do anymore, but I figured that I was good in front of um, I was good in front of a, an audience, mm -hmm. so I can just build all this stuff in PowerPoint, and I can animate it, and it would make sense. And then I would basically put on these. They weren't seminars; it was mostly pitch uh, pitches that I would use it for. Hmm. But I was nice. I was big into building, connecting things. Mm -hmm. I, I I I like. Um, the example is that um, I had, when I was a mortgage broker, I had a continuing education course that yeah. Oregon uh, implemented. And I got one of those birds that, um, you know, fills up with water and then pecks. And I weighted it just perfectly that it would touch the, the button. And I didn't have to be there. I would go, you know, I'd, oh my I'd go hang out somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah. And> so, <laughs> um, so I figured that there was kind of like that mechanical Turk type of system. Hmm in marketing in some way. And so I found that in Yahoo Pipes, if you guys remember Yahoo Pipes. Pipes was a way to rewire the internet. You could wow. basically um, take RSS feeds and then you could use keyword uh, extraction and then yeah. use certain things to generate and build tweets automatically and then uh, push those out. So oh, I would wow. build all these like spider web type of things and then explain that this is how you can do things and make things scale. Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of how I got credibility in the marketing world was just figuring out how to make it easier. Let's take it back a little bit further even. So um, you obviously wanted to get into this line of work and had the marketing degree. Um, what was it that kind of sparked that, let's say, interest for you, either creatively or, you know, even just like thinking, oh, this could be a good way to make a living and make a career out of this line of work? part of it was the uh, cost of entry is, was very low. Mm. Um, I just left a failed tech company that, you know, costs a lot. And um, I was kind of going through what that would translate to um, that skills and those learnings into something that had pretty low barrier to entry. Mm. Um, I mean, it cost me $1,500 to build a website. Mm. That, that's what I calculated for my time. WordPress was just kind of hitting its stride at the point. Mm -hmm. At that point, um, I figured that I'd have to be doing this for people because everybody needs a website. So I learned how to code. I learned how to to build websites effectively, especially with SEO um, mm -hmm. uh, in mind. Um, and so I got good at doing that. And then I built my own. And then I just started to blog. Mm -hmm. And I blogged based on keywords and based on a lot of different things. 
So it was part of it was the lower barrier of, low barrier of entry. Part of it was I had knowledge to, to kind of um, share hmm. with with an audience. Um, and the third part is it, there was a gap that back then. So there were there's many different marketing com- industries um, or companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main ones that I was mostly focused on was SEM, SEO. Mm. And then there was email agencies. Those were kind of the two. Um, yes, there's creative, there's video production. That's mostly building the content that goes into those types of machines. Um, what didn't exist was a uh, social media company. Mm-hmm. It just didn't exist in 2008 when I started Bonfire. And so I saw that gap in the, in the market. I saw, I had friends that owned agencies that were trying to get into it, but they were just too dedicated to website design or anything else. They couldn't really focus all their attention on social. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of raised my hand and said, well, I know how to do this. Um, so I'm going to make sure that I'm the smartest guy in the room, whether I was or not, but at yep. least try to be that for this particular topic and specialize in this one thing. Um, and it worked. Everybody was looking for social at the time. Everybody was looking for a way to make it scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I developed the terminology of snackable and, and, and shared that type of strategy to Intel when we worked with them. And mm-hmm. then it went like wildfire after that. This is a great story. And I think this is actually going to resonate a lot with, I mean, this resonates with me and my experience in building my own creative agency. At what point were you able to make that move from I to we, and how did you go about all this? Were you, were these um, small projects funding you to be able to live? Did you take a loan out? Um, did you have a side job? How did, how'd you go about, you know, these early days? Uh, well, a trick that I always used was I always said we, uh-huh. even if it was just I. I had so many different contractors within arm's reach. I typically would try to understand their industry extremely well uh, because there's certain dog whistle words that you could be using with your conversation to just, just show them that you at least took the time to understand their industry. Yeah. Um, and you know, when it came to like finance and how to, how to, I gave myself a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, I have a year and a half to at least make what I made my third year out of college, Mm -hmm. which wasn't much, Mm -hmm. but it was enough. It was enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have kids at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could, that definitely be a far more frugal. Yeah. I had some savings from uh, my previous jobs. Um, I was very fortunate enough that I had a, a wife with a very, very good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she kind of kept everything together and, and made sure that, that uh, we weren't starving. But yeah. I also got really cheap and really scrappy. Like it mm-hmm. was, I'm, I'm eating top ramen. I'm going back to college, basically. Honestly, even if I didn't have to, um, there's a certain level of hunger and stress that gets the most energy out of you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and, and I was trying to get as much energy out of my efforts. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely resonate with that. I think, um, you know, I've, I've run my video production company for the last 10 years now, and I have had friends or others who are, they have a W2 and they'll say, how do you do it, man? I, I don't understand how you could keep this up. And, um, you know, it just seems like a, you know, a lot of things to juggle. And it's like, I have to, Yeah, I got bills to pay. We got to pay the mortgage. We got to eat. 
And, um, that, that's a great motivator to make your business work is, um, to, you got to survive and, um, and the drive to not have to go back to work for somebody else. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, and I, I find that entrepreneurs in particular, um, they're really no good when they're idle. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I usually tell people, cause I have multiple projects going on in any given moment. And, mm. you know, I read like three books at a time because I get bored at yeah. whatever it is. And, um, but I, you know, I just built a office in the back of my, um, my yard for my mm -hmm. wife and I didn't know what I was doing, but I spent a lot of time doing this and I'm like, why are you doing I have Friends are like, it's awesome. Why are you doing it? <laughs> there's, there's no point. I'm like, well, if I don't keep my mind going on, busy, if I don't keep my hands busy, then I'm no, I'm, I'm a worse husband. I'm a worse father. I'm a worse business owner. I'm, I'm a worse in almost every direction. And so I have to just keep going because when I'm idle, that's when the, that's when the thought demons start to kick in and you're yeah. like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, yeah. I, you know, I'm not tired enough. I need to be more tired. And it's not busy for the sake of being busy, but the idleness is not my friend. I, I don't yeah. function well with, with I, being. I definitely idle. have that disease too. It's, it's a constant progression and I'm, uh, you know, studying real estate investing before going to bed or some kind of odd side side gig going on in my brain and trying to learn all the ins and outs. And my wife's like, what are you doing? You have a job. Like, I know, but then, you know, are, are there any really helpful uh, resources in various <clears throat> media channels or forms that you would suggest for uh, individuals who are either founders or co-founders working on building their own agency um, to, to go check out? Um, I'm a big fan of trying to understand team, um, how, how teams function and how people function. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I love reading books like, um, I feel like I've read almost every business book out there over the course of the last 20 years, but, yeah. um, you know, books like grit books, like, like, um, uh, first break all the rules first, uh, books that, um, they, they give you a real, uh, power of habits or um, talent is a myth. I think is what is one of them. Um, the, the books they, they kind of break down why people do what they do, and then how you can influence that and, and become kind of a touchstone for their particular behaviors. Mm. Because you know we're all our own narrative mm -hmm. in some ways, and no one can lift up that you know skull and look inside and see what's actually there. It's it's really really difficult. And when I was building teams, my, my agency got up to about 42 people. And it's big. I, you know, in that course of 11 years, you hire and fire, you know, mm. 150 people or so, you know, you go through a lot of different people and you build teams. Mm. And um, when you're an entrepreneur or a solo entrepreneur or, or just starting out, you're not considering that. You're thinking, okay, here's what I'm good at. And I hope I can find people that are also like me, but that's, that's the opposite. You should actually know ex extremely well what you're good at and what you're really bad at, mm. and then go find a bunch of people that are good or really good at the things that you're bad at. Mm. And that's probably one of the first things I did was um, I hired somebody that uh, she was, 
terrific at account management. Account management. She was outstanding at holding people accountable. She was a really good operator, whereas I was good at strategy and forward thinking stuff. So we drove each other crazy, um, <laughs> and and we'd have like like huge arguments, but we were good for each other. I'm really curious about, like I said, how people function. I do a lot of personality profiles. So I didn't really believe in them too much until about year eight in my agency. And then I did something called a CVI. Hmm. I had a guy come in, do a full facilitation for me on it. And he was like, you need to stop apologizing for what you're bad at. You need to just focus on what you're great at and then find other people because he, he held up. I actually have this. It's like on my desk. It like has exactly what I am. Yes. And it reminds me of who I am on a regular basis because when I show up in my worst, it's because of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, or when I'm showing up in my best, it's because of these things. And so um, anything that I read or consume, it's a greater understanding of the broad picture of how people are. Mm-hmm. But then a finite behavioral thing of where I can put them in a, in a meaningful way. And I still do it. So, I mean, uh, Eric knows that I'm, I do a lot of peer to peer mentorship. I do a lot of um, uh, conversations and try to understand team dynamics and I'm an executive coach now. So I go into businesses and I, uh-huh. I do that kind of thing, but you know, yes, we are all human, but the way that we operate there's like a fox over there and a cat over here. And, you know, they're, they're little different animals and you got to figure out how they're going to get along together and how you're going to bring their best of themselves to every single meeting. And that's, mm. that's kind of what I've researched the most. That's the most interesting. And, and uh, it helps dictate how I think. Wow. I love that. That's yeah. Cool. Kind of the one that comes to mind for me is good to great philosophy yep. with the right people in the right seats. And, um, that was huge for me too. I'm I'm a creative, and you know, started out with just uh, a guy who liked to make videos. But bringing on that account manager as my first hire, hmm. you know, allowed me to do five times the amount of work that I could before because I was I could not juggle those conversations and focus on my work at the same time and kind of popcorn back and forth. Um, so once, once I did that, it was, it was huge. And then all of a sudden I was managing multiple projects at a time instead of one at a time. Hmm. And, uh, I think a big thing that the entrepreneurs forget, or maybe they just never even know is that when you start a business, you start a business hmm. to solve a problem for a client. You're a solution in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, and you usually do a pretty good job at, at solving that problem. Otherwise, people wouldn't pay you. Mm-hmm. But as you hire people, you're, you need to get good at solving problems in your company. And mm-hmm. that's something that we didn't really realize or sign up for. Did mm-hmm. I sign up to um, solve HR issues? No, that's not mm-hmm. why I said. I, I, I started my business to do marketing strategy and, yep. and do content development. That's what I wanted to do. But once you start solving problems that you never signed up for in the first place, mm-hmm. um, it feels like, um, you know, if you run running races and you think that uh, you're going to run 10 miles and then somebody tells you, oh, yeah, by the way, you got to run two more miles. That two extra miles feels like 15. Oh, like, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it feels like forever. And so when you have your company and you 
somebody tells you, oh, yes, I know you're successful at what you're doing, but you now have to do, um, you've got to do bank loans. So you're going to have to figure out good bank relationships. You're going to have to do HR things. You're going to have to work on your account management skills. You have to work on your copywriting and design skills. Um, you have to do all of these things. It's like, wait, 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 that's not, that's not what I want. I, I want to just solve my clients' problems. I don't want to solve my problems. But if you're going to run a business, you've got to get good at solving your problems mm. as well. That's good. Mm. Good stuff. Well, hey, I want to um, back us up again a little bit. Um, you know, we went from the humble beginnings to uh, 42 employees. And I want to go back a little bit somewhere in the middle there. Um, you know, what, what do you think was a time where you started to get some traction and maybe your revenue as a business started to increase and where things kind of clicked a little bit where you felt like, okay, wow, we've, we've got something that has some legs here. What was, was there a moment or a specific? There was. Moment? Yeah. So we had a lot of, um, we were doing online management. That was kind of our thing is we were 2008 to probably 2010. Um, it was making social media tweets and Facebook updates and optimizing people's Yelp and, mm -hmm. you know, tying it all together. And it, it, there was an SEO component to it, but it was, a lot of it was the, uh, the frequency of, of content being produced because algorithms didn't really exist back then. So mm -hmm. you could, you could actually build content at a high frequency and make a pretty big impact. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but I went to a, we had pub docs in Portland, which like we mm -hmm. do in, in mm -hmm. Bend. Uh, but they're ran through a company called uh, OEN. And I went to one of those and one of my friends that has a design agency that was called Morange Design. They don't exist anymore, but uh, his name's Mitch. Um, I was open and honest with him. You know, as agency owners, sometimes we kind of put on a front, like how's, how's things going? You're like, oh, it's great. It's, big project, I just did this big, project. oh, big projects. It's amazing, you know, <laughs> but it's all stealth. I can't tell you about it yeah. because, you know, uh, yeah, I've, I didn't really ever have that in me too much. Um, and so I, I knew that I had four employees at the time. Um, I, I think we were about 300,000 in revenue or so. Mm -hmm. um, and I was barely paying myself. And I was like, we have so much more that we could be doing. We're, we've got a good process in place. I've got good employees. And I remember going to this pub talk and my, my buddy was like, um, how are things going up on fire? I was like, they're fine. I mean, we could be doing a lot better stuff. We just need more clients. And I'm having a hard time finding anyone that will on a bigger scale that will talk to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he was like, okay, give me a call tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And he's like a two person shop. It's just him and a, a designer. Mm -hmm. Um, but he was really good at relationships and he knew the, um, COO of Saban brands. Mm -hmm. Now Saban brands back then, wasn't big. It was four employees, CEO, CFO, COO, and the secretary. Hmm. That's it. Hmm. Um, but it was owned by this guy named Haim Saban. And Haim um, used to own the Power Rangers. He's the one that brought the Power Rangers from Japan to America. No way. He sold it to Fox, which sold it to Disney. And Disney kind of ruined it. And Haim was very smart with his money. Um, he's a multi-billionaire. He bought it back from, from Disney at a discount. Smart man. And then uh, started to started the Saban brands. Hmm. And they needed a marketing agency and they knew nothing about social. They knew they needed to be on it. And I talked to the COO in a Safeway parking lot. Um, 
And he was like, I heard from Mitch that you're the guy to talk to about social. Can you, can you manage the power Rangers for us? No I was way. like, sure. Um, it's going to be three grand a month. And like, that was a lot. But what I didn't calculate was the scale of hiring the best people and all that kind of mm. stuff. So after a month, I was deeply in the red mm. and I oh. called uh, this guy named, his name was Steve. Um, I called Steve and I said, so that three grand a month is now going to be nine. Oh, um, my gosh. And, uh, and he just laughs on the other side of the phone and he goes, yeah, I was wondering when you were going to call me because three grand is ridiculous. <laughs> wow. You guys are doing so much work for three grand. Wow. Um, he's like, he's like nine grand. That's fine. And it's, and I'm going to take a 15% cut on all the ad spends. He's like, yeah, of course. That's what everybody does. I'm like, okay, all right. I can hire people. Now. Wow. <laughs> so he, what did that uh, feel he, like what that phone, do you remember that phone call? Like where you were or anything like that's a big, I mean, three times up on a project and feeling potentially like you're underwater in this and, I had nothing to lose. I mean, I was, yeah, it was costing me 4,500 bucks a month to run the campaigns. And so um, I was like, well, I got to be at least 50%. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I came up with nine. Wow. And, uh, and it just, it just worked. So I I had nothing to lose. I knew that I wouldn't lose the client necessarily. Mm -hmm. I was expecting pushback of like, okay, well, we'll do it seven or we'll Mm -hmm. do six or something like that. But I also reflected on the fact that they're a billion dollar company without actually making any revenues mm-hmm. and they have three employees. So their overhead is really, really wow. low and I'm their entire outsourced marketing department. It's not and that so much money. It's not that much money. I was their agency of record and I was yep. way undercharging. Um, I was able to hire seven people right off the bat. Cool. Um, wow. And because they had, they had um, Power Rangers, Digimon, Paul Frank, um, God, Popples, they had, they had a bunch of brands and they kept buying more brands. And so we grew, we kept growing with them Hmm. and, uh, but they're a media company. They kept undercutting, trying to get our prices down. And Mm -hmm. then after about four and a half years or so, um, they split the company in two. And then they're like, we're going to do an agency for the clothing brand. And we're going to do an agency for the entertainment brand. And you guys Mm -hmm. are out. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I went back and I look at my, I looked at my margins. I was like, God, we're like 3% on these guys. That, that is, that's fine. Yeah. But, but it helped get you to that point to where you didn't Mm -hmm. need them. Yeah. Yeah. That, did that client help give you some authority in speaking with other clients? Oh yeah. I put Power Rangers on everything after that. It was, it was, uh, well, when we work with the Power Rangers, it's like it, it just kind of like became a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. Um, But then that uh, that parlayed into um, Intel. So we became Mm. agency of record for Intel for their social media management. Wow. Um, So we were doing almost all of their outbound social media, except for at Intel.com. So all their main channel stuff they did in house. Okay. But all of their sub channel stuff, so the data center and all those kind of things, we managed all of it. And that was another. That was another point of um, pricing and how to price was I developed a really good relationship with the internal stakeholder. And I, she, when she said, okay, well, I'm positioning you to be agency of record. This is, it's not even going out to bid because they don't really give social that much relevance at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned into something very big, yep. but, um, but uh why don't you draw up an SOW and then we'll, we'll go have some Thai food yeah. and we'll discuss what, what the pricing is. And I 
put the initial stuff across the desk and she tripled all of it. I think where we didn't win accounts is when we said I too much. Mm. When it was a when it was a we statement mm. and it was a prepared we of like giving them this is what it's like to work with us. Not mm. here's all the cool stuff that we've done. That that's fine. Mm. But if it's not very relatable. Mm. And so um anytime we were actually winning good accounts that we wanted to go after, it was well researched of what they were looking for. And then we would we would be, this is how we are going to do things. And this is what the next three years are going to look like. Hmm. And this is how we're going to work together. And if there is problems, this is how we're going to handle it. You know, we, we were very honest on those types of things. And we would actually get, usually win those deals. Our, our close ratio was actually really good. Wow. Um, but when we started to go down the aisle, there's a couple of times we got kind of arrogant. Okay. We went, we got, um, fastest growing company in Oregon twice. And we got wow. best companies to work for. And we started to walk a little different. We started to talk a little different and it wasn't good for the client. Hmm. Um, I always, I, I'm not a huge fan of Jeff Bezos as a whole, but I do like how he, when he was running uh, Amazon is he always had an open chair in the, in the conference room hmm. and that was for the customer. Hmm. What does the customer want? And so that's where the, the kind of we piece came into it is what. What does a customer want? How can we deliver it? How can they know who we are, but how does it align with their values? That's when we started to win more deals, and especially the bigger deals. That's some um, great insights. I think that's a challenge we all face is we want to tell the client why we're worth investing in, and we want to you know, talk about us. But um, that's a really good reminder and, and takeaway for me personally, too, to keep in mind. Uh, I also, I, I had noted this is one of the biggest screw ups financially. We did the um, ad buying for a company and we had, we, they ran up $290,000 in ad buy that they oh didn't pay us for. Oh my God. Um, and it was a learning experience because we were people pleasers. We were like, okay, well, A, it goes on our credit card, which is kind of nice because we can rack up miles and then we can use those benefits to mm -hmm. it, on the employees and everyone else. Um, but we are not a bank. Hmm. And so we started to set our terms very tight after that. It was, you know, pay us. Sorry, it, we are working hard for you. You have to pay us. And as people pleasers, sometimes we, we have a hard time asking for the money. And after being in the whole 290,000, which they did pay back, which was nice. Wow. Um, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, but it was, a, it was a wake up call of we bill on time we expect payment within 30 days. And if we don't, services end. Okay. We were so afraid of losing the client that okay. um, we, you know, we just were like, uh, can, you know, pay us when you can. Yeah. Now, it, the lesson that I learned was when we are internally tight, they're going to see that and they're going to respect us more yep. and we're going to have greater credibility. Yep. But if, if we don't have that, if our accounting systems are, are not as good, our operations mm -hmm. aren't as good, then they're going to treat us like we're minor league and they're going to think that they're getting a discount or something like that. Is it, is they it, want the best. Is it fair to say, Ryan, then you would uh, suggest highly for entrepreneurs, for creative agency founders and owners, people building these, these um, businesses to invest in 
invoicing proposal software, billing, all of that right from the get-go to be able to appear, you know, wear the suit to the meeting type of thing, um, yeah. at least on the soft. Okay, so that's that's a must as far as organization goes. And gosh, I can't yeah. imagine if uh, if you hadn't gotten paid back, that that's a hard to sleep, hard pill to swallow. Well, the other thing for consideration is if you're built as kind of an RRM type of situation, uh-huh. um, you need to to understand cost of inflation. You need to understand the cost of increase of of, uh, of your overhead. Um, you know, people are going to want raises yeah. annually. And in the creative agency, they were upwards of 10% a year for me. Um, and so if I'm raising somebody 10%, but I'm not increasing um, what I'm charging yeah. my in my clients by 10%, then every year I get worse. And were you getting that insight from the, the books that you were reading or did you have a business yeah. manager? A little of both. So books that I read, um, I read, you know, like great game of business and for, for metrics and understanding how you can expose numbers to people, um, your employees in particular, and that helps performance. Um, but, uh, then I have a, a, a friend of mine, I was an EO, um, which entrepreneurs organizations out of, out of Portland, Okay. but that the chapters of Portland, it's a, it's a global, um, organization, but it's, it's kind of like, okay, um, where you, it's peer to peer mentorship, you're, you're brought together and, and you get to meet some fascinating people. But one of the people that I met was a woman named Jill Nelson. She, I was on the board and she was the president and Jill owned a company called Ruby receptionist in Portland. Um, and it was a big company. She sold it a while back for quite a bit. She did very well with it. I think that they're up to about a thousand employees or so. Um, but she has built into her contracts every year is a 3% increase in, in, in your payment. Hmm. And so right at the onset of working with anybody, because all she does is RM, um, that every, every year, 3%, 3%, 3%, 3%. That's a great and idea. I that. I have a client I've been working with for four or five years now, and I'm afraid to bump up their He's rates. He's still just buying you lunch for your work. Yeah. you got to switch over. <laughs> well, it, it, you always have that fear, like, well, if, if we go up, maybe they're mm. going to use that as a reason to start shopping elsewhere. Um, but if you have that understanding from the beginning mm. um, and, and agreement, then there's no surprises. That's a, that's a great idea. I kind of think of it this way, and I, I talked with a client recently um, asking me about uh, they want to move to a different marketing agency, and uh, they were just asking my advice. Um, I, I told them that, you know, most marketing agencies, they expire. They, they're like, no, hmm. they expire after about two and a half years. Hmm. Um, and whether they're doing great work or not, they have to reinvent themselves constantly. Mm-hmm. And um, on the agency side, it's hard to reinvent yourself if you don't have funds to do that, you can't hire better people. You can't provide greater resources. And so it plateaus. And so I I was always trying to get ahead of that of, I was like, I'm going to increase my rates, but you're going to see exponential incrementally, but then potentially exponentially better service Hmm. and better results over the course. Because I know that after two and a half years, you're going to get tired of hearing my voice or working with my employees, it's just the natural way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I hope to hold you for five, but I can't hold you for five unless I start reinvesting in myself as well. Yeah. And so that's great. They, great they would, they would typically, they would usually be very, very okay with that because they had been through a couple of agencies and it is a pain in the butt to find a new agency. So they just didn't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff there. 
Well, and um, just a real quick question on that. So a term you used a couple times was RRM for our listeners and uh, myself um, who don't know what that term is. Could you tell us? The reoccurring revenue m- model. Okay. Cool. So, so it's, it's like, you know, a monthly uh, retainer. It's more of like subscription based. Yeah. Type of thing. Retainer nice. draws off hours and draws off deliverables. Okay. Um, but, but RRMs are more like a subscription. And so, we were yeah. we had quotas for you know content delivery, um, but we were a subscription in many ways. We were like every month you are going to pay us this. Nice. Um, we we know your quarterly budget and this is how we're going to best utilize it. Are you okay with that? Yes. Okay. Move on. So in those oh, first get- five five six seven eight years, Ryan, how much how often did you find yourself doing pro bono work? Uh, whether it was for, you know, there's always something there. You want a relationship to be sustained or whatever it is, but you also have probably had friends that had companies or businesses and they, Oh, Ryan, can you do this for us? How, how'd you balance all that? Typically I would think that, that if it took me more than three hours, I felt like I needed to be paid for it. Okay. Anything under three hours in something that I wanted to do yeah. would typically do two things. It would establish me as a thought leader um, within people's frame of frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would also keep the sword sharp in many mm-hmm. ways. Like I, I, I would delve into it. If I'm doing it for free, maybe I'm delving into something, an industry that I've never worked with before. And it just gives me an opportunity to understand it and maybe see if I can leverage it and, and bring in a, a different company in the same industry into my, into my, um, uh, portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Anything under three, three hours, I was like, yeah, that's just kind of fun stuff. Okay. Anything above that where I have clear deliverables, yep. um, I'd usually be like, okay, this this is my rate. Um, this is the way. And mm-hmm. you know, we're getting to a point where possibly I'm going to bring in my team, which is just mm-hmm. going to get far more expensive. Okay. But I think, I think that in particular, the stuff that I do with EOS, uh, it's just entrepreneurs operating system. Um, you have the visionary, you have a, an integrator, and then you have um, other executive teams. The visionary is usually the person that starts the company. Mm-hmm. And they like to tinker. They like to fix things. They like to develop stuff that possibly hasn't been developed before or is just a tweak or something different from what, what was done before. When the company gets big enough, you stop doing a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to lose your fire for your company. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous mm-hmm. because people are really lying on you to keep that fire hot. Yeah. And, uh, and so I would always try to pull on projects that were just fun because if I didn't do those, then I would be assigned HR or I'd be assigned <laughs> finance or I'd be assigned something that I absolutely detested. And I would be like, this is not what I did. Mm-hmm. So nice. Um, Definitely want to get more into the, the EOS side of things too. Cause I know that's a, a big part of what you're up to these days. Yeah. Um, well, well, while we're still kind of looking at the history, this is probably the last one before we're more at present day. But um, what, you know, what would you say, uh, you know, we heard about a lot of growth that kind of happened along the way already. But what do you think is probably the number one contributor to what did start to put, pour some gasoline on the fire for you as an agency? Um, as an agency... Um, I think it, that's a little bit of a tough question because there's a lot of them, but, um, I think it was focusing and building things that were very specific when, 
you start as an agency, a lot of times you'll just take on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you, you are um, a hammer looking for a nail in some ways, but you're not as specific as a hammer. You, you think that you can do a lot of different things. Um, I think, huh? yeah, yeah. You're kind of like a Leatherman. You, you could yeah. get it done, but you know, damn, you really wish you got a screwdriver. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think where things really accelerated and where my team appreciated it as well, because I, I, I don't think that I have ADHD necessarily, but I do get bored pretty quick, pretty easily. And I always love complicated problems. Mm. And so I would pull on different clients. I, you know, I, pull on a cannabis client or I pull on a, I pull on a shotgun shell manufacturer client. Um, and I thought that my team loved all that kind of problem stuff too. Oh no. And they really didn't. They, they like to be highly proficient in very specific things. Hmm. And, um, so once we made a pivot towards work, basically servicing primarily tech, like we went back and we looked in our books and we're like, well, our best margin, our best work, our best everything is working on tech companies, hmm. period. Um, yes, there's more revenue there. There's, 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 there's more dollars there. But we also are just really damn good at it. Best work, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so we fired probably half of our clients. Wow. And focused on, and, and we had to let a couple of people go too because that was, that was overhead. Yeah. Um, but once we focused on that, we closed great clients that mm. fit within who we were. My employees were much more ha- happy because they were working on specific things and they, they didn't, they weren't getting whiplash from me throwing another thing over the wall saying, Hey, we just got this new client. You know, nothing about the industry <laughs> and you need to be spectacular. Mm. And they would be like, that sucks. I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, w- once we focused on this is who we are, which are w- what we finally landed on was something called ABM which is account-based marketing. It's highly specific, sales-integrated, data-driven content development type of work for the tech industry. We, the the final thing that we closed before I closed, before I sold my business was um, HP. We were agency of record for HP. The entire 88,000 person organization with um, $162 million budget marketing annually. Yeah. (laughs) We were one of five agencies that got chosen. Wow. I had I had 27 employees at the time. And they told us that we won it. Like it was a very arduous process to get mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. back to the relationship piece, we were just a subcontractor for like almost two years and just doing everything we could to make them happy and everything like that. And then yeah. they go, well, you're not an actual agency in our approved. We're gonna put this out to bid and we want you to be one of the lead agencies on this. So we go through that whole process we were able to look back and say, this is all the stuff that we've done for tech companies. We focus on tech companies. This is what we do for account-based marketing, which is what you're looking for. This is how good we are at this. We have certified people that are outstanding at ABM. Met with the CMO of, of HP, did a, did the whole pitch, flew down to Palo Alto, all that kind of stuff, and won, won the deal. Oh. Um, after that, they asked us how many employees we had. And I was like, well, we've got uh, 27. Yeah. They go, oh, okay. Let me call you back. I was like, oh. Oh, no. Uh, they went and hired another agency oh. to help us, no, which no. wasn't the, which is not a bad thing. Oh, a lot of agencies okay. die of gluttony. They don't die of starvation. I, 
all that business coming our way would have drowned us. Wow, it would wow. have been because we would have gone from, you know, we were, much to do. You know, we, we were four or five million at the point. We mm-hmm. would have been bringing on just from one client. We would have been bringing on about 15 to 20. Yeah. Oh, so too much. That ch- changes everything. And they hired these other guys. And it's great because they weren't very good. They were, they were like the B team for us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they could do a lot of the things that we didn't want to do. They and so we kind of collaborated you. with them. They yeah. could support us. That's awesome. Wow. Um, but back to your original point is when we focused on specific industries, because there is so much business in, in being specific, when we focused on people knowing us for exactly what we did, mm-hmm. we closed more business, we had wow. higher margins, and our my, my employees were vastly, vastly more uh, happy with what they were doing. That's a huge knowledge bomb for us and for our listeners. And, you know, I know for me personally, yeah, that's advice that I've heard and neglected in the past about kind of, uh, yeah. fi- finding your niche. And, yeah. um, maybe it's time that I take it a little more seriously. Gosh. Um, Ryan, overall, uh, so bonfire was 11 years before selling. Is that right? Uh, 11 years, yeah. 11 years. Um, over that entire period, 30,000 foot view uh, question, uh, and it's a, it's a simple one, but what would you have done differently, you know, knowing what you know now? If you took your, your head now and you applied it 11 at the beginning of that, what, what would have been different for you? Um, I think I would, have spe- uh, I would have specialized earlier. Okay. I just wasn't confident enough. Um, I think as entrepreneurs, we are worried about paying the bills, and so yeah. sometimes we take on work that we shouldn't. I think the other thing I would have done earlier is uh, hired um, somebody that was designated for HR. I I think that most companies, HR has got this very ambiguous type of stature within an organization. Um, And HR is so important for employees. They they Mm -hmm. need the stability. They need the consistency and 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 the ability to predict what is going to be coming. Whether that's healthcare or retirement or you know all those kind of things, I just didn't, I didn't emphasize it enough. And when you don't emphasize it enough, it's going to ultimately end up on the founder's desk, mm. and that will extinguish your flame in many ways. Because it's not that you're not good at HR or maybe um, you don't appreciate it. It's just not what you started your business for. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I think that most companies either outsourcing it through a company like Zenium or that's a company in Portland or, or any other um, agency that's out there that handles this kind of stuff. If you can have that consistency and that authority, you can focus on what's really important. And your role is growing the business and being a visionary for what that company is going to be. And you can't do that if you're solving problems that distract you. And so I would have... I think I probably, when I got to 10 employees, I should have invested in it. I did not invest into it until I was probably like 25. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I thought that I had a good system in place between good healthcare and good retirement. And, yeah. You know, why should you have any questions? I don't have any questions. Why do you have questions? I think uh, some of it comes down to company culture, just making sure that uh, problems were being so- solved. Um, But I think a a bigger piece of this is that it's somebody else to go to that isn't the owner of the company. I found found that people were coming to me for the wrong things. Um, Mm. If 
if they came to me with a with a client problem all day. I'm I'm really good at at solving client problems. I'm really good at strategy. I can put fires out really well. Um, but if you're coming to me for um, what the retirement looks like, or if you're coming to me with with anything along those lines, or can I take days off? That's I that wasn't me. Um, (laughs) and it it was frustrating. I wish it was me, but I I know myself a lot better now. And, and I'm, I'm, I wish I would have, uh, invested in that far earlier. That's good, good insights. And, um, definitely something as, as agencies are growing and, you know, kind of getting to that next level, something to keep in mind and good advice. Um, don't, don't put that piece off. Um, we have another question for you, uh, kind of shifting gears a little bit here. I'm curious, um, being an entrepreneurial type, um, have you had, you, you did speak about before the agency, other ventures you had, but what about concurrently with your agency or, or since then? Um, what, yeah. Did you have other businesses going on? Uh, so I, I come from an entrepreneurial family. So my, my dad, and my grandfather started a concrete business in Battleground, Washington in 1979. They didn't make a profit for like 10 years. My dad worked two jobs. My mom, uh, she taught special ed and was a grocery clerk. And Mm. um, everybody said that they would fail. The Battleground, Washington at the time was like 2,300 people. um, And everyone's like, these dumb Californians, you're going to, you're going to fail miserably. It's going to be awesome. Um, But that changed, you know, they, they were instrumental in paving, um, most of, or a large amount of Clark County and Clark County population boom, just huge. And Mm -hmm. battleground is 29,000 people now. Mm -hmm. And, um, the whole Clark County has just exploded. And, and, but, so I was used to the starving entrepreneur in some ways, and just Mm -hmm. having my horizon set a little bit far on profitability. And just as long as, you know you're doing the right things. Stay true to that. Stay true to your customers. Work hard, and and things will work out. It's hmm. it's America. Things are going to be great um, if you just stay stay focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like fifth grade, I had a a, a candy selling business that I almost got kicked out of school for. All right. um, uh, you know, buy candy in Costco and That's resell right. it for twice the amount. Upsell. Upsell. Uh, but I had like field mowing uh, companies in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in college, I had the same sort of, uh, it was a beer selling company. I would buy nice. codated beer and oh, sell them. So no. <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble doing that. I don't do that. No. Didn't do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I had, I had the entrepreneur um, or the, uh, the uh, yeah. geolocation sports fan business. And then I had Bonfire. Since selling Bonfire, um, I took a little time off. I spent time with my kids. I got young kids. So I, I, during the pandemic, they weren't in school. I was like, my wife is a CPA, owns her own uh, accounting agency. And, and so she was busy with, she's got mostly business clients and they're having to go through all the PPP and yep. EIDL oh, yeah. stuff. And she's like keeping all the fires down from being mm-hmm. forced fires basically. And, and I was like, you know, I, I have the opportunity to sell the business. I'm just going to sell it. And so I, I took about nine months off and I spent uh, spent time with the kids and went up skiing a ton with them. It was great. Um, Amazing. Really but, cool. Uh, but then, you know, they went back to school. And I'm like, I told you before, Idle Hands, Devil's Workshop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've got to find something that keeps me busy. Um, and so I started um, 
I, I held on to a data management company from the sale of my agency. So I still have that. Okay. Um, so we do uh, data management for um, like DMB and, and uh, Oceanus and uh, uh, mm-hmm. info, um, uh, info data. Um, anyways, like four different companies. We do some data management stuff. It's just me and another guy. Um, and then I have, uh, I own uh, um, 14 doors. So I do property management for, for uh, six different properties. Okay. That, that's oh, just kind of cool. a side thing. But that's kind of the entrepreneur, just do it on your own kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I started, um, I did EOS in my company. Um, and it was highly effective of hmm. calibrating everybody. It's like a tuning fork for your, for your company. Um, and I called up some of my old implementers and I was like, did you like what you do? Um, because I was doing peer-to-peer mentorship. I was doing yep. a lot of things for hmm. businesses. And they're like, no, we, we love it. And so I dove head first and um, started to do uh, uh, EOS implementation. So that's, Very cool. that's my main thing that I do. I, I love business coaching. I love working with companies. Um, I love being very vulnerable and saying, this is where I screwed up. And hopefully you can learn from my mistakes because that's wisdom. If you don't learn yeah. from my mistakes, that's ignorance. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to really figure out what you want to do. And so I've, I've been doing that for about a year now, um, but nice. kind of been living it for the last like seven so. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I know that's a big part about what you're doing nowadays. And do you want to give us kind of the, I, I read uh, the book Traction and, and have some experience with EOS, but do you want to tell the listeners just kind of the quick version of what that is? Yeah, sure. Uh, it it, it focuses on three different things. It's vision, traction, and healthy. And what it tries to do is as a system that make sure that a company has a very clear vision. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the employees know where they're going. The, even the owner and, and executive team have a very clear understanding of where the company is going. Um, traction is a set of tools so that you as a team can actually keep each other in check. So processes are developed, metrics are in place. There's high accountability within the organization. Um, you, you, you have the scaffolding in place to build the house, to make the home, and then fill it with the people that you want. Um, and then healthy. Healthy is just a, uh, it's more a matter of, is the company working healthy? Because most companies aren't. Mm-hmm. Most companies, um, they, there's there's grievances, there's, there's you're overworked, you're underworked. There's, there's a lot of different things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do is we try to make sure that the company works in a healthy manner. So if somebody is working 60 hours and they want to work 50, then that kind of stuff is talked about, exposed, and, and then we can understand how that, that job can function a little bit more effectively. Well, um, yeah, just to wrap things up here, you know, kind of looking to our, our listeners and, and those who are maybe early on in their journeys, uh, what advice would you give to someone who's started, starting out? first of all, have a lot of grit, like realize that it's going to suck. A lot of it is going to really not be something you want to do. Um, but that's part of it. That's part of the process. You know, you take it on the chin, you, you have a smile and, and you work through it. You realize that there's something to learn from every failure. Mm. And if you don't, you're going to, you're going to remember a lot more about your failures. I know it's cliche than, than your successes. Um, 
I would say that. I'd also say that it's really important to celebrate the wins because hmm. there will be, there will be fantastic ones. Um, and something that, that kept me going um, is that when I would have a really big win, I would go buy something, mm, not nice. something big, but something that, that would remember me, yep, have yep. me remember yep. that I worked hard for this. I love that. And I succeeded at it. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to buy this little thing that is going to remind me. It's good. Physical. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, like um, Intel sent us, sent us to Barcelona with a team to do Mobile World Congress because that, that was going on at the time. And, you know, I took my team to Sagrada Familia. We got to tour the, the uh, um, um, Barca football stadium. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I also bought everybody a little thing to remember, for them to remember that trip. It's great. And it was expensive enough that they didn't want to buy it themselves. Yeah. And it was a reminder. And so I always try to, you know, I never celebrated the wins well enough. And I think that it's important, especially as you're starting out hmm. to, because there's a lot of failure hmm. to recognize the wins, celebrate them, take a breath, celebrate hmm. them, and then get back to work. And um, I think it's super helpful. That's really good. I like that. It rounds out well. I think uh, hmm. everything you've shared so far. And Yeah. Well, what a cool journey for us to hear about and learn from, you know, you've, you've, done everything from start kind of full cycle to the, the sale of a business and had a lot of um, learn, you know, a lot of advice to share from what you learned along the way. So um, really appreciate you taking the time with yeah. us today. And um, yeah, definitely hope to see you again and, and we'll have to grab coffee sometime or something and keep, keep chatting business. And what a great conversation with Ryan from Flagline strategy founder of Bonfire. Uh, three practical takeaways from today's episode that if you apply can help grow your creative agency. One, invest in relationships, even if that means working for free. Two, don't be afraid to specialize sooner. And three, I like this one, build in an annual increase to your rates. It's really good. We know you guys hear this all the time, but as a new podcast, the way that people will find out about us is for you to do two things. Number one, please rate us on whichever app you're listening to this podcast. And number two, please share it with your friends. Finally, if you have questions that you'd like us to ask guests in the future, head over to our website at growyourcreativeagency.com and you can add your questions there. Until next time, see ya.